Hey guys, it's me, AvaCat, and today we're going to be reading The Adventurer's Guide to Successful Escapes. The Adventurer's Guide to Successful Escapes offers the following tips. Number one, wait until after dark when everyone is asleep. Unless, of course, the place from which you are trying to escape is patrolled by walking suits of armor that never sleep. So if that's the case, sorry, but you're out of luck. Two, if you require a partner, please... Choose someone quiet. Loud, talkative people who chatter on and on about pirates and castles they intend to buy are likely to get you caught. Three, before you try and swim across the moat, check to make sure it isn't filled with sharks. Chapter 2. Fire Lizards and Fireballs A 15-foot-high outer wall surrounded the main compound of the orphanage in a very haphazard fashion. And the lone iron knight walked along the top of it in a very haphazard manner. Anne led Dog out of the manor and along the wall, in the opposite direction from that of a patrolling knight. The fire lizard worked himself into a low, heel-dragging hover, and only required the occasional nudge every now and then to correct her flight path. While Anne walked, her gaze drifted to the outer buildings inside the walls, as she had with the orphans under her care, the matron had turned a once-bustling estate into a shadow of its former self. The boarded-up bakery smelled only of mice and mold. The abandoned forge had a cold chimney and rusted tools. And the library's dusty shelves were full of neglected books. The only building outside the compound, an old observatory on a nearby hill, sat equally ignored. Anne stopped Dog in front of the main entrance, which was a little more than a simple curved archway in the wall, set beneath a crumbling rock clock tower. A set of rusty iron gates hung open, a da dangling half off their hinges. Beyond the archway, a drawbridge extended over a moat filled with sharks, zombie sharks, in fact, since the matron was far too cheap to pay for feeding live ones. In the middle of the moat, the drawbridge came to rest on the edge of a stone ramp. The ramp covered the rest of the distance to the opposite side. In a few hours, every 13-year-old orphan would cross the drawbridge, descend the ramp, and walk two miles down the sloping forest path to the dock. Anne hoped to be with them, but so far, it wasn't looking good. Penelope jogged over with a rake in hand. There you are. Did you get a ticket? Anne shook her head. What? exclaimed Penelope. Anne explained that what she'd learned in the matron's office, how the supply ship had now, was now scheduled to leave before midnight, so Anne would have to stay at St. Lupin's for another year. That's completely unfair, said Penelope, swinging her rake at a nearby pile of leaves, scattering them in all directions. What are we going to do? Well, said Anne, looking around to make sure they couldn't be overheard, I was thinking I'd leave anyway, if you feel like helping. Yes, said Penelope. We'll storm the castle. Er, I'm pretty sure you only stormed a castle when you're trying to get into it. Technically, I'm trying to get out. Fine, we'll call storming the castle Plan B. Since there were other orphans busy working around the grounds, they ducked beneath the archway and over to the edge of the drawbridge for more privacy as they plotted. The surface of the moat was calm, although every once in a while, the rotting fin 
of a zombie shark, shark crested the water, causing Dog to growl. You could try a disguise, suggested Penelope. I would still need a ticket, but maybe I could stow away in one of the cargo crates after it's unpacked, but before they put it back onto the ship. Penelope shook her head. They always check the crates. I'm sure I could throw you onto the ship from the dock, though. Anne pointed to a scar on her elbow. Are you forgetting the I'm sure I can toss Anne up into the oak tree incident? Penelope grinned. I was so close. And anyway, you healed up nicely, didn't you? I'd like to avoid the need to heal this time. We should at least call it Plan C. You call it Plan C, said Anne. I'm calling it Plan of Last Resort, and even then probably not. Or at least until I learn how to fly. She shuddered. How about we make it simple? You board first, cause a commotion, and I'll sneak aboard while everyone is distracted. What sort of commotion? I don't know. Start an argument with the first mate or something. Which one is he again? Just a second. I think I have a sketch of him. Anne emptied her pocket to get her drawings. Here, hold this for a minute. Anne handed the book with the red cover to Penelope. It's the same one I had earlier. I I haven't gotten a chance to exchange it for a new one yet. No, it's not. This one is the Adventurer's Guide to Clanstein Travel. Anne looked at the cover and frowned. That's weird. Penelope opened the book, and they both gasped. Printed on the first page, in in crisp dark lines, was a passenger ticket with Anne's name on it. Anne took the book with shaking hands and and stared at the ticket incredulously. But how? Penelope shrugged nonchalantly. Eh, probably just magic or something. Anne gaped at her friend. Just magic? Yeah, we read about magic and stuff all the time in those books you get from the library. I know, Pen, but reading about it is one thing. This is... this is incredible. Penelope laughed. I know, I'm just kidding. This book is amazing. Quick, tear out the ticket before it disappears. Anne clutched the open book tightly against her chest. What? We can't tear a magic book. Says who? It made the ticket for you, didn't it? Why would it do that that if it didn't want you to take it? Anne peeked at the page again. I suppose that makes sense, but... But what if we break it or something? Just tear it a little. If something goes wrong, we can always stop. What if something goes wrong means it explodes? Then we'll definitely stop. Typically, Anne preferred to think things through from all angles. But Penelope was right. She couldn't risk losing the ticket. She gripped the page as close to the spine as the book is possible and pulled until the small, smallest of, the smallest of tears formed. Nothing happened. She tore it a little more. Everything continued to remain fine. Anne kept tearing until the page separated completely from the book. The ticket was still clear and, and eligible. The... Rest of the book seemed otherwise unaffected. Anne sighed with relief. Anne clapped her on the shoulder. Fantastic! I can practically smell the pirates. I think that might be the moat, said Anne. As they stared at the ticket in wonderment, Dog turned to the direction of the forest. His ears perked up and he sniffed the air. Penelope pointed to the sky. What's that? Anne shielded her eyes. It looks like a ball of fire or something. Indeed, a burning something arced across the sky, a bright green burning object, and dropped steadily until it disappeared into the forest. 
while they stood staring at the smoke trail. Dog shot forward, snapping the leash out of Anne's hand. The fire lizard rocketed across the drawbridge, down the stone ramp, and into the trees. Oh no. No, 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 no. Anne sprinted across the drawbridge, but stopped short when she reached the ramp. She glanced back at the Iron Knight patrolling at high atop the wall. Had the Iron had it seen the light in the sky, or watched Dog run off? Would it notice if Anne left? Penelope ran up to so- beside her. Are we going after him? Anne chewed her lip. The matron had given her strict instructions not to leave the main grounds. Skipping out on chores might earn a double shift in the mines, but disobeying a direct order was worth a week scrubbing in the dungeons while being locked up in them. Then again, showing up without Dog was, wasn't likely to win her any favors either. Okay, I'll go, said Anne. You stay here on lookout. Make some noise or something in, to warn me if the matron or one of the knights show up. Penelope nodded. Anne looked up again. The patrolling knight was heading away from them. There would never be a better opportunity. She shoved the book, ticket, and sketches back into her pocket. And then she raced down the ramp, across the path, and plunged into the undergrowth, hoping to find Dog just on the other side. Unfortunately, the fire lizard was already at the bottom of the long slope, and Anne watched as he disappeared into the thick of the forest, heart-thumping, and sped up. After several minutes of running, Anne began having to sidestep patches of scorched earth and duck under the blackened branches. She must be getting closer to the bright, burning object that had landed. As she hurried through the drifting clouds of sparks and ash, her feet kicked up some smoldering piles of leaves. Smoke stung her lungs and blurred her vision, becoming thicker the farther she went until she was coughing and gasping for a fresh breath of air. There was no sign of dog. Anne was about to turn back when she when she stumbled past a dark opening on the hillside, a mine shaft entrance. It was Shaft Eleven, which had experienced a cave-in many years ago, around the time Anne was, herself was born. Various accounts had circulated among the orphans over the years as to exactly what had happened there, with some claiming that it had been an army of t- tunneling coal worms and others making dubious reference to a fire band and an angry canary. Regardless of the truth, everyone gave it a wide berth since the matron assigned extra chores to anyone who went near it. Anne ducked inside of the mine's still intact entrance and sucked in a lungful of cool, smokeless air. Several paces farther in, there was a boarded-up door with the words, Stay out! This means you! While contemplating whether to press on or returned to the compound, Anne heard a rustling noise from a nearby clump of trees. Thinking it must be Dog, Anne slipped quickly from tree to tree, hoping to sneak up on him by surprise. Just as she was about to jump through the undergrowth, Anne stopped by a deep, stopped by a deep, teeth-rattling roar. That wasn't Dog. That was something else entirely. Something big. Perhaps that something big was friendly. And its roar was simply its way of saying, Hello, small person. But it was equally possible that the something big was hungry for a tender, mid-morning orphan snack. Rather than wait to find out which, Anne retreated as quietly as possible, thinking she could hide back inside Shaft 11. Yet, as she stepped around a rock, a twig snapped under her heel. This brought another tremendous roar, followed by a crash, which convinced Anne that it was time to run. She bolted straight for the mine entrance. However, 
She had to veer away suddenly when the tree in front of her exploded in green flames. To the best of Anne's knowledge, the only creatures who breathed fire were dragons. But she'd never met a dragon. And why would one come to St. Lupin's and shoot fireballs at the trees? Anne had no idea. Her heart pounding from the near miss. Anne kept her lugs, her legs pumping. She was headed directly into the area where the falling object, or dragon, must have landed. But she had no choice. She jumped over the blackened stumps and skirted more piles of burning leaves, plunged blindly through a thick cloud of smoke, and ran straight off the end of the world. Prologue Addendum Technically, there is another way to leave St. Lupin's. Number four, walk out the front door, proceed for, luff, for roughly two miles in any direction, and fall off the end of the world. This happens not nearly as infrequently as one might think. Okay, guys, that is it for this episode of The Adventurer's Guide for Successful Escapes. I hope that you join us tomorrow for another episode. Okay, bye!